Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Series XM Progress, Channel 127. Welcome. It's good to have you. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Tell Me Everything. Produced by the great Chris Houseelt out of South Carolina. Featuring the many talents of producer Thea Harper, straight out of Brooklyn. We got a hell of a show tonight. There's a lot to cover, my friends. For the next three hours, we'll be reachable at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. We got a great one tonight. Georgia State Representative Kim Schofield is joining us, and I am in love with this woman. She's a member of the Georgia House of Representatives, representing District 63, which includes Fulton County, Georgia. We'll also be joined by uh, Julie Franchella and Simon Moya-Smith for our super hot Indigenous Voices segment we love doing every week. And Thea Harper will be here with the Minority Report as well. Tomorrow night on the show, the return of Senator Bill Bradley. Olympic gold medalist, basketball player, superstar of the New York Knicks, and of course, the great senator from the state of New Jersey. Bill Bradley has written a solo show telling his life story. Spike Lee fell in love with it. He and Frank Oz co-produced a movie of it, and that film has premiered on Max today. Tomorrow night is a very special and moving conversation with the senator that I really hope you'll listen to. He's joined us on the show before, but this one... This one's all about his life, and it really goes there. So we're thrilled to have Senator Bill Bradley back. We are again at 866-997-4748. My God, we have a lot to get to. 866-997-GRIT. Joe Biden unveiled new sanctions on the Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Palestinians in the region are always enduring harassment and violent attacks as the hardline settlers drive them from their homes. Then Joe Biden went over to Michigan and uh, didn't meet with any Muslim groups, but more or less said to them, how do you like me now? Meanwhile... The Oregon Supreme Court upheld a decision by the Secretary of State. And lean in on this, all you folks talking about Donald Trump and the 14th Amendment. They ruled that the 10 Republican state legislators who staged this six-week walkout last year in an effort to slow down the bills on abortion and trans rights and gun control, the Oregon Supreme Court has upheld the decision by the Secretary of State that those 10 Republicans are barred from running for re-election. I'm starting to like this trend. A federal judge ruled the U.S. is complicit in Israel's military assault on Gaza, agreeing with Palestinian-American plaintiffs that it is plausibly genocidal. And Washington state is host to the first known outbreak of a previously unknown and, and rather deadly fungal infection. Scientists have long worried changes in the climate, environment and land usage could lead to a sudden rise in, um, well, you know, uh, The Last of Us style fungal infections where killer mushrooms turn us all into zombies. So watch for that. And... Billy Joel has not released a new album since 1993. 
and he hasn't released a new song since 2007, until today. And it's not a song that's going to burn down the house, but boy, it's lovely. He sounds great at age 74. His piano playing's great. And it sounds like there might be uh, the first new record from Long Island's own in 31 years. Our number for the next three hours is 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. We want to know what you think about everything. Tomorrow night, you can see me on MSNBC with Stephanie Rule in the 11th hour. So I recommend listening to our show and watching me at the same time because I'm, I'm, I look good on TV, but I'm much better on the radio. All right. I think we're all set. Let's get to it. Let's do a show. February has begun. Happy February to you with the third month of our meteorological winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, down down south in the Southern Hemispheric parts of the, of the, of, of the world here. February is actually the last month of summer. It's like August down there. The Roman month Februarius was named after the Latin term Februm, which means purification. Via the purification ritual Februa held on February 15th, a full moon in the old lunar Roman calendar. We'll do our best to purify ourselves as best we can. Let's get to it. This is a hard one, this episode, because sometimes you go on the air and you get bad news shortly before you do. My friend used to say, Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Only a well-informed public stays free for very long. And if you haven't heard, I am very sorry to um, convey to you the passing of the Black Eagle, Mr. Joe Madison, who I hope you know and love from his wonderful show on Sirius XM's Urban View channel. He's a friend of this show. He did this show many times. I had the honor of doing his show many times, and he was someone who always spoke truth to power. He was a civil rights legend. He's in the Radio Hall of Fame. He went on leave from his daily morning show on Urban View a few months ago to focus on his health. And I'm very sorry to hear that we won't be seeing him or hearing his voices on these airwaves again. He was a nonstop activist for justice, and he was just a terrific radio show host every day. This man gave a powerful voice to people in our country, around the world, who are oppressed, who are marginalized. Not just African Americans, anybody. Anybody who's being oppressed or marginalized. He would, I heard him stand up for foreign folks. I heard him stand up for Jewish people, for transgender people. Joe had actually read the New Testament, and he cared about the least of these. He was only 74 years old. I just posted a little remembrance of him on Twitter, and the first person to like it with a broken heart emoji was Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill. Jedi Knights looked up to Joe Madison. He began his broadcasting career in Detroit in 1980 at WXYZ AM. But of course, you guys know him from Urban View, one channel away from ours, 126. And one of the greatest things about working here and coming to Sirius XM to do a show was getting to work with the Black Eagle himself and appear on each other's shows. I first met him nine years ago at a special we did in D.C. with Louis Black and Dick Gregory and Tommy Smothers. <laughs> he did a hunger strike with Dick Gregory in 1996. And 25 years later, he announced another hunger strike on the air here at Sirius XM. This time was to press for voting rights legislation. And I learned a lot about everything from Joe Madison, about being a broadcaster, about this country. He would tell the story about when he was a kid driving with his family from Dayton to Cincinnati. That He said, we didn't dare stop because you didn't stop at a restaurant or a diner. You were exposed to the indignity of watching your mother or grandmother squatting on the side of the road to relieve themselves. 
He said, you see, this is what all black families had to do back then. Your family would tell you, oh, that's okay. We'll just pull over and have a picnic instead. Joe said, that is how they protected us from the harsh reality of not being able to eat in a public restaurant. Back in 2015, you might recall, Joe hosted a record-breaking marathon right here on Sirius XM on Urban View, where he talked for 52 hours straight on his Sirius XM talk show. It's officially registered with the Guinness World Record Organization, and it was amazing. I was terrified about his health, but he did it. He more or less stayed awake for 52 hours straight. I got to be a guest during hour 34 of that one. The obituary notice says, It is with a heavy heart that we announce the passing of our beloved husband and father, Joe Madison. He passed away peacefully at home, surrounded by family. Joe dedicated his life to fighting for all those who are undervalued, underestimated, and marginalized. On air, he often posed the question, What are you going to do about it? Although he is no longer with us, we hope you will join us in answering that call by continuing to be proactive in the fight against injustice. The outpouring of prayers and support over the last few months lifted Joe's spirits and strengthened us as a family. We continue to ask for privacy as we gather together to support each other through this difficult time. Uh, condolences can be sent to his family at joemadison.com. <sighs> he once said, you can put the Republican members of Congress who are up for re-election, and quite candidly, the Democrats, because every Democratic congressperson ought to be writing, tweeting, and you put them on notice. We are the boss of this government, not Donald Trump. Here's a quick clip of Joe. I want to play a couple of them. Uh, they're brief. They show the rage with the love and the compassion behind it. And here he is calling out Donald Trump's racist attacks against four non-white congresswomen, the squad, uh, a couple years ago. What is so sad is that three of these women, three of them, members of Congress, were born in the United States of America. They are more citizens of this country than his wife, than the first lady. This is birtherism. That's all it is. It's just another form. But we have heard this all of our adult lives. Go back to Africa. That's all he's saying. And that's what he said. That's all he's I mean, saying. Well, <laughs> Mr. Trump. Oh. You don't even deserve to be called president. I remember when that aired. You know, if you're if you're an unpaid intern in any corporation in America and you told four women of color in your office to go back where you came from, you'd be fired because America holds unpaid interns to a higher standard than our presidents. And Joe always knew just the right words to capture the outrage without giving in to hate. He got mad, but he never hated anybody. When Candace Owens, oh, when she said the Ahmaud Arbery murder by white supremacists had nothing to do with race, Joe quoted Malcolm X. Whenever a black man stands up and says something that white people don't like, then the first thing that white man does is run around to try to find somebody to say something to offset what has just been said. <laughs> As Black History Month is opening now, we're in a country where a lot of our school teachers are terrified to talk about racism. We have teachers who are scared about what they can teach about our own American history. There are more and more limits on what teachers are allowed to say. There's new laws in at least 14 states, and it's leading many teachers to just mention important figures in black history. But 
not mention the racism they faced. And this is because of the racism of Ron DeSantis. Florida has been the most aggressive state in trying to limit what teachers are allowed to teach about the truth of America. Two years ago, in in his brilliant pre-campaign move that was designed only to make racists happy and to upset the anti-racists, Ron DeSantis signed a bill that effectively stops teachers from being able to talk about certain concepts related to race or national origin or sex that could make any students uncomfortable. I, I call it the White Fragility Act of 2022. And policies like this are why many teachers of every ethnic background now have to approach Black History Month carefully. And Black History Month begins today, the day we find out we've lost Joe Madison. And teachers in this country, one quarter of the way through this century, are terrified to share facts. Axios quoted a teacher from Miami-Dade County named Crystal Etienne. She's a middle school civics teacher. And it's Florida's largest school district. She said, how do I teach the end of slavery? the 13th Amendment, and then not answer or acknowledge the atrocities of slavery. This was the landscape that Joe Madison fought against. This was how Joe Madison showed us how to go after them. Look, he, he handles trolls better than anybody. I try to reason with him. I keep him on too long. I ask him questions. Stephanie Miller just hangs up on him. God bless her. Joe, though, knew how to handle his racist trolls. I want to play one more clip. This is, this is Joe with one of the typical callers he got on his show and just listen to how he does not give this man an inch. Let me move to Mike from Michigan. Hi, Mike. Hi, how are you doing, Joe? I'm fine. All right, I, I just think that uh, you should get off Trump and, and you're, you're, you're a nigger eagle is what you are, black-ass nigger eagle. Okay. <sighs> Anything else you want to add and to reflect your stupidity and your consci- your conscientious stupidity? I mean, you well, are, no, well, no, you, no, you, listen, you're, 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 no, I'm, it's my turn. No, it's my turn. No, you are conscientious. You are very conscientious in calling up, staying on hold, and then you are a Trump supporter. You haven't, didn't bring up one issue. Here's what you did. You sat there and threw out a bunch of insults. This is typical Trump support. So I should get off of Trump because I'm a black ass nigga ego and all the insults that you could think. And you are. And I hope everybody is listening because I'm not even going to get mad at you. I'm not even going to play the dozens with you. Mm. I want people to understand this is Mike from Michigan, who is a Trump supporter. He has reflected his mentality, his racist attitude. He is limited in his ability to have an intelligent conversation. So what he (laughs) resorted to was racist insults on a national, international show. And I can make a freaking promo out of it and play it over (laughs) and over again. So here's the promo. Ladies and gentlemen, let me give you a typical Trump supporter who called the Madison Show. Be prepared to hear that on this network. Have a good day, Mike. (laughs) Chris, can we take all of our racist, homophobic troll callers and just turn them into promos? I'm... uh... He didn't get mad. Nope. Nope. He did something Joe, about it. Yeah, he did. He turned it into art. 
Joe, actually, one of my favorite quotes of his was he said, sometimes you have to raise a little hell to get some heaven. I, I know a lot of y'all loved him. I just want to say I learned so much from Joe Madison about being a better broadcaster, being a better American, and being a better person. I love you, Joe Madison. Rest in power. Back in the world, you know, the soft racism was there all day today. The sort of stuff that Joe was so expert at calling out. Like the border crisis, which apparently is not a crisis because they've decided it can wait a year. Ken Buck came out as a solid no against impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas today. So Republicans, I guess, only have, what, one vote to spare on the House floor. And Ken Buck, who's leaving Congress, so he's telling the truth a little bit. He said today on TV, the border is a disaster, but it's not impeachable. This is not a high crime or misdemeanor. It's not an impeachable offense. This is a policy difference. <laughs> and if they fail on impeaching Mayorkas on the border crisis, which has united them all, It'd be kind of beautiful. But of course, they have plenty of racists there to fight for it. And one of the racists actually said the quiet part out loud today. Representative Troy Nels from Texas, one of the most odious members of Congress, but we'll get into that. They caught up with him today and uh, they asked him about what's going on with the border deal. Now that Donald Trump has said, don't pass any border deal. I want the chaos. I want a crisis to continue for a year. I want to run on it. Listen to Congressman Troy Nels of Texas actually say the quiet part that they're deliberately not going to do anything because that'll hurt this president. Why would we do anything right now to help him with that 33 percent? Do you believe if Joe Biden's approval rating was at 53 percent, we would even be talking about the border? What? We wouldn't be talking what? about the southern border. But he has to what? do something because he's hemorrhaging. He's bleeding. So what he's going to try to do is try to come up with some border security plan bipartisan through the senate that is nothing but hogwash okay so so again he said the quiet part out loud you just heard it if biden's approval rating was 53 percent, we wouldn't even be talking about the border this racist mediocrity just admitted it's a scam and a made-up controversy and this is troy nels he's a dirty cop he was fired from being a dirty cop He's a do-nothing politician. He's an emasculated Trump flunky. He's a lying accuser of Capitol Police. He accused them of stealing from his office, and that was dismissed. Revoltingly fake Christian racist. And now he's saying that backing the Senate border deal would only help Joe Biden's approval rating, so we're going to do nothing. And that might seem like it's enough. But listen to this. I'm going to remind you again. I don't care which Republican you're listening to, from Newt Gingrich to Megyn Kelly. I've never heard these people ever call a white lawbreaker, a thug. But they asked him about Cory Bush's current federal investigation. And I want you to hear this because this is a perfect representation of the kind of woman-hating, racist garbage that women of color have to deal with every day in America, including in your Congress. She doesn't even support the police. But the idea to pay her thug uh, money to try to help protect her this and that for what? Maybe if she her wouldn't thug. be so loud all the time, maybe she wouldn't be getting threats. Are you saying she deserves to be threatened? No, what I'm saying is, is that when you're out there talking the way she does, I, I'm surprised that people are probably pretty upset because she's a pretty radical. She's pretty radical. And maybe she should tone it down a little bit. Okay, this by radical, this is someone who actually helped 
to secure the doors in the Capitol when Donald Trump's terrorist attack took place. And now, because Troy Nels is a Ken Crotch emasculated flunky, all he's doing is defending those terrorists. And now that you just heard him say that a black woman was too loud and that's why people are upset with her and her husband was a thug. Think he'll be apologizing? You think anybody on the right will ever hear that quote? And if they do, you think they'll ever care? But if you want more proof of the suckerdom of the Republicans, new FEC filing show in 2023, Donald Trump used $50 million in campaign donations to cover his legal fees across all of his many trials. Last year, they just made their FEC filing for the second half of 2023. His political fundraising apparatus, the Save America PAC, the one that's making the Republican National Commission go dry because all the donations are coming to Trump and not the party, $50 million to pay Donald Trump's lawyers. I mean, Taylor Swift gave $50 million to her staff on the tour. Donald Trump took $50 million from his followers, not for his campaign, but because he's a thieving douchebag. And you morons, give it to him. Get that money out of your bank accounts. It's his money. What's it doing in your bank account? MAGA, get his money out of your bank and give it to your grand venereal wizard. Eugene Carroll wants to go shopping. And Donald Trump has decided his own gullible racist rubes are going to pay her. <laughs> I am so sad we will not have Joe Madison with us for this campaign season to call out the fuckery, the abuse, the racism, the double-talking jive. I am so grateful we were alive at the same time of this wonderful man and great broadcaster. And I promise you, I will try to hold to his ethics as best I can, call these fools out, and hopefully make it as entertaining as possible. We want to know what you guys think. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We're going to take a quick break. Back in a moment with your calls and Georgia State Representative Kim Schofield, who I have a tremendous crush on now. This is Sirius XM Progress. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. So friends, I hope you'll join me on my audio podcast, Justice Matters. You care about ethics in government, criminal justice reform, a conflict-free federal judiciary? I thought so. On Justice Matters, we take on issues involving the need to reform our government and its institutions. And we talk about real, achievable reform. I hope you'll join us. Look for Justice Matters wherever you usually get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm John Fugelsang. This is SiriusXM 
progress. So I'm so pleased to welcome our next guest to the show uh, because she's brilliant and she's a leader. And um, as someone who's half New York, half Southern, she's kind of a rock star. Representative Kim Schofield proudly represents Georgia's House District 63 in Fulton County, which includes portions of Atlanta, East Point, College Park, South Fulton and Union City. She's an advocate for health and environmental health, and she works in lupus research and chronic disease, health equity, health disparities, environmental health, air and water quality and tax chemicals, you know, stuff public servants are supposed to work on. She serves on health, small business development, interstate cooperation, creative arts committee and secretary of the House Urban Affairs Committee. Congresswoman Kim Schofield, welcome. When do you ever, Representative, have time to do anything with all these different jobs you have? It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you, John. You know, first of all, Kim stands for keep it moving. So, you know, uh-huh. New Yorkers keep things moving. Um, but it's great <laughs> to be here with you. Listen, you know, part of being a public servant is to really recognize the needs and the voice of the people. As I was an advocate, as a person living with lupus, I know what it means to be on the other side where you have a condition and you have an issue and no one seems to care or pay attention. Yep. So when I became elected in this space, the number one thing that I vowed to do was to make sure that people had a voice. And it's not only the voice of the voiceless, but it was that the value of the voice that was made sure that we were heard. Well, let's talk about healthcare because you're a, a hero on this to me. One of the most important issues facing your constituents is healthcare, and your work has given you obviously a deep understanding of the struggles Georgians and, and many Americans nationwide are experiencing. You introduced legislation that would incentivize doctors to practice in underserved areas of the state to help close the coverage gap, which to me is profoundly moral, profoundly patriotic, and profoundly good capitalism. Representative, what will it take? to bridge the healthcare gap and make quality healthcare more accessible for every American. Well, until we really recognize that healthcare is a human right, it is not for the have and the have nots. It is a basic human value. You know, without health, we have nothing. So the quality of healthcare is attached to the overall quality of life and livelihood for people. So when we talk about how do we incentivize health care, we have to first look at that health care in and of itself is attached to our very being. And the beingness yes. is not tied to Democrats or Republican. It's not tied to black or white. It's tied to making sure that you have a healthy, thriving system where that the uh, the healthcare providers that service our needs have the tools and the resources and the incentives that they not only can service the community, but they have a quality of life and a sustainable uh, ecosystem that they mm-hmm. can thrive too. So when we bring a specialist down in a rural community or an urban community or suburban community, they bring a set of resources where community thrives. And until we can start giving paying and payer scales back and value the work that they do in the healthcare space, then we can start looking at then how do we make a community a system, an ecosystem whole. Right. Well, you're a strong advocate for Medicaid and Medicare, which 
are two programs that provide coverage to traditionally underserved and, and vulnerable communities. Where do you stand on the topic of um, single payer health care or Medicare for all or opening up Medicare to everybody? I mean, what would it take to have every American enjoy the same access to care? Because no one's questioning the quality of care in America. It's the access to care. Uh, do you ever see a world where all Americans can have the same access as our capitalist allies overseas enjoy with their health care? You know, there was something that my parents used to tell me that as I get older, it just really resonates with me. It says common sense is not common. Hmm. You know, there are numbers and there's data. The data has clearly spoken in Georgia and made it many states. We are still one of the last states to to fully expand Medicaid. Now, you can call it what you want. There is a model that we're looking at now that we are the Arkansas model that we're going to look at pieces of that. Why are we continuing to take pieces and withdraw when we've proven time and time again that fully expanding Medicaid gets us the numbers of coverage? And because we have such large egos in this state that names have to be the head on everything, and it's not about the head, it's about why can't you stand up and just be proud that you save lives? You know, right. so the data speaks for itself. The number of coverage, we can close the gap. Children do not have, should be able to see doctors. People, and it's good for businesses. If Georgia and other places are good places to do business, then why can't we equally be a good place to live? So that we're Thank not you. having these high uh, mortality, mortality, maternal mortality rates. Why are we still fighting over how things are framed as opposed to looking at the moral value? Oh, I'm sorry. I use the word morality. Morality, <laughs> health care shouldn't be in the same sentence. We have to use common sense. This is a dollar figure. Businesses want to expand Medicaid. We need healthy workers. We need doctors that get paid to do their work. You know, fully expanding Medicaid, making healthcare available for all makes good business sense. But this is seems to be the intersection of common sense, good for business, patriotism, and the New Testament. I mean, when folks aren't insured, what happens? Then they show up at emergency rooms when they're really sick and the local taxpayers have to foot the bill. That's the socialism our conservative friends keep warning us about. And yet that's the playing field they keep seemingly to be fighting for. Yeah, that's the definition of insanity. <laughs> Thank when you. We want to keep going around the same and trying to get the same results when we always know we're ending up at the same starting point. This is not uh, this is good for business. We we've been dancing around this issue for far too long. Let's get it done. We should not use the political landscape all the time so it looks like we're winning to make a next step up in our political mm -hmm. pursuit and it, at the expense of healthy people and choices that they have to make. Listen, well, when I, I didn't have health care, I used a system that had to run to emergency rooms. What makes you think that's the dignity of what we call America? Oh, I mean, for so many Americans, they're faced with two bad choices, right? Either visit offices that are out of network or you travel a long distance to see an in-network provider. But both of these options are pretty expensive for people on a budget. And as you've said in your latest article, 
It's important to understand the impact of healthcare disparity on Americans who are already suffering from financial stress. This, to me, is an issue that Democrats should be talking about all over the place on a national level. What kind of additional challenges are we are we talking about? And, and what do you suggest be done to ease the extra burden folks are carrying? Well, I think what we really do is we need a national conversation that's full of transparency and not just keep talking about that. We have to put some some really strong actions behind these words. Where is the money? Well, you know, we always like to say, follow the money. Yeah. And if we're not willing to take the money off the table and really put some real hard steps to hold people accountable by saying, no, we're not taking this anymore. This is what has to be done. Then you're always going to keep digging holes and barriers. We know that disparities are real. We see this across in the healthcare space where they're just the gaps are widening. And so when we talk about how do we make equitable choices, we've mm -hmm. got to be able to start looking at the real conversation with real actions that come to uh, close root causes. We can do this. These are solvable problems and we created them. So guess who's going to get them out? <laughs> Let's start putting our money where our mouth is and stop wasting time dancing around these issues. These were root cause and we can do corrective actions now. We must. Uh, let me let me shift the debate slightly uh, on health care to gun safety legislation, because I want to quote from one of your latest op eds. You say, despite the growing demand for action. It is disheartening to witness the Republican Party's refusal to pass common sense gun reforms that could save lives. I wonder, are your colleagues in the Republican Party just terrified of doing anything that might make America a bit safer for folks? And and what would effective common sense gun reform look like? You know, the sad thing that really I guess would say I would say keeps me up at night is that when we turn on the news and it's not a bullet has no name or face. And when it hits your community or your family, then there's an uptick and an outcrow of a crying of we need to do something now, that sense mm -hmm. of urgency. But it's not enough when schools and children are scared. It's not enough where parents are scared if their children are going to come home. It's not enough where we see that the low hanging fruit is safe storage. We are not saying that people do not have the right to have firearms. We are not saying we're infringing upon that right for safety. What we are saying is that because this is out of control and Republicans know it, and what yeah. is also so sad is that they are so afraid to stand up to do the right thing. So afraid. In the popular thing. The popular it's thing, a, Representative. The, the people want safety. How many ways? There's not a Republican that I have talked to offline that does not agree with we want our community needs to feel safe. What do you have if you don't feel safe? Communities want safety. I want to go to work and feel safe in my job, in my car, 
It doesn't mean I'm taking away your right, but what I am looking is for a conversation and a solution that says we can meet in the middle to create a space where there is some level of accountability instead of working where one is winning and one That's is it. constantly losing. That's it. Your Republican colleagues know universal background checks, banning military style assault weapons for civilians, closing the loopholes. These are popular. They would make a significant difference. Are they just representatives so horrified and cowardly that they won't because they fear the NRA will then fund a primary challenger? So once again, if they do their jobs, they might lose their jobs. Is your job before at the end of the day, what I do know is when we all stand before whatever that next step in life is going to be, I'm not going to be called from the back room to judge you. But how can you lay down at night knowing when you had the chance to do the right thing, how many people's lives would have been saved? Is this job and this space worth that? And for some, it is for many of us. Simply, simply making small choices to say we're not going to let the powerful people or those that think they're so powerful bully us. When mm -hmm. is the time where you, you go to that line in the sand and you say we're not crossing that? That's where America is losing. OK, well, here, here now. Now I want to ask you about this, then, because you have a master's degree in ministry and you have a doctorate in theology and leadership. Um I'm the child of two ex-Catholic clergy, a Franciscan brother and a, and a nun, and that has informed my politics and the things I fight for. And I'm very curious about your spiritual background and, and has your education in theology informed your activism as a public servant? As, as, is, is your theology the bedrock of your ministry, the path you walk in civic life? You know... When I started this journey, um, my goal was to make leaders accountable. Accountable. So I, <laughs> one of the things that I created was something called oath. I believe when I raised my hand, my right hand to take an oath, it stood for accountability, authenticity, transparency, and honesty. And that's what I hold the values that I held myself to. And so when I went and I was working on my doctorate and it was about uh, the thesis was how do we look at the value of humanity pre and post fall? Right. And then when we look at them, how do we integrate that into society? So if we are redeemed as a society post after we sinned, we should be better people, make better decisions, be better stewards of this land. And so getting to this space of policy making, I still hold those same values. What can I do better that promotes the good of the whole as opposed to just going in for the, the few of the sum, the, the, the little of the many that win? Man, you're good. And I want to vote for you. The people lose. This <laughs> is the, the, I'm responsible for the air. I have a, 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 I need to be authentic and transparent and for the soil, for the land, for the water, for Man, the health of people. Now, I'm never going to get called to be judged on that, on whether here or in the afterlife. But I want to know that the obedience from what I was called to steward over, I did my best. And I had but colleagues around me. We didn't have to agree. 
but we all want life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and we want to be able to not just thrive and survive, but the Bible says be fruitful and to love and be blessed. Again, I'm not living this panacea. I'm just no, saying you're that good. this is what I- we all want. No, I want to. I want. I want to vote for you at the national level at some point. You're really good at this, <laughs> and and I, I I love that you connect the spirituality to caring about the environment because I don't know why it's been so hard to have a religious revival where people understand that the following the Hebrew and Christian Bibles it is all about proper and responsible stewardship of creation. Now you've worked to provide safer alternatives to protect public health and the environment from these forever chemicals. And you recently introduced legislation to address toxic chemicals in consumer products. I think this is something Democrats should be talking about all the time. Can you tell us a bit about the different house bills you've, you've introduced and why they're so important? Well, one of the bills is HB, um, 390, which is the Safe Cosmetic Act. I've also done a lot of work in PFAS and Forever Chemicals. And the reason why is because when you look at healthcare and especially environmental health, again, soil, water, air, there are triggers that we have in our environment that we're not studying enough and the effects long-term when it comes to chronic diseases. We're so good at giving medications for conditions, but a person like myself who lives with lupus that gets up every morning and may use a shower gel, but in that is a chemical, a sulfate or something that is using that to bathe, and I'm rubbing on things that are triggering my inflammation, And you're giving me more medicine on something that you're saying is not working, but it's really something I'm actually feeding into the disease. We're not talking enough about these forever chemicals that are in our water, um, that are in our in our food, that are in the clothes that we're wearing, that are in the product consumer products that we're intaking, that we're breathing in the plastics. I recently went to have a foot detox and the woman walked by me and she said to me, mm, you've got a lot of metal in your body. I was like, really? And then she turned around and circled back and she said, you've got a lot of plastics in your body. And I'm like, I don't drink straws. She's like, yeah, but you know what? You're breathing in all of we these plastics. It. When do we start talking about what our kids are inhaling? Yes. When do we start talking about the 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 cosmetic products, uh, uh, um, uh, the, the toxins that are in the cosmetics that the labeling is not being transparent enough that we Thank can you. trace this back and take it to our doctors or our scientists and say, we want more research on these autoimmune diseases and these are how it's impacting us. Say as a man, these are the sort of things that a lot of males and I would assume males in public life don't think about. I mean, Safe Cosmetics Act would require manufacturers to just disclose the ingredients and the chemicals of concern and the restricted substances found in cosmetics sold in Georgia. And House Bill 257 is something I know male politicians don't think about. That bill would ban feminine hygiene products containing chemicals from being sold in the state. How hard is it to get a bill like that passed, Representative? Well, the first thing I've got to say is you've got to even be willing to let us let us have a conversation about feminine hygiene. Right. (laughs) It's not a comfortable uh, conversation. But let me assure you, everyone has a wife, a mother, a daughter, a grandmother, a sister. So that conversation, there's a lot of men that have been asked to the store, go to the store and pick up those products that were uncomfortable. So we need to have these conversations because they are health risk. 
And if we're not having the conversation, then we're allowing generations of people to be impacted. We have to create a space of transparency and there has to be more oversight. And so that transparency can lead to better health outcomes that we can protect our young people. You know, they've taken sex education and feminine hygiene classes out of the schools. So when do kids and young girls get a chance to have these type of conversations if the general public is not being educated enough and there's not enough transparency where we can dialogue about this? We've got to do a better job. State Representative Kim Schofield represents District 63, Fulton County, Georgia, in the Georgia House of Representatives. It is such a pleasure and honor to have you with us. What is the best way, Representative, for our listeners and riffraff to follow you and keep up with all your work? Well, I am on all forms of social media, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, Rep Kim Schofield or Rep Kim. You can find me, uh, you know, again, Kim stands for keep it moving. So I'm on (laughs) X. Um, I'm here. You can look me up at the Georgia General Assembly. And listen, I am always going to be on the side of being that voice for the average citizen that needs to get that leg up. Stay connected with your state legislature. Do not just stop on the federal level. It's your state that you need to connect with so that you understand how the policy gets made. I love you. And thank you for your service. I we we need a lot more politicians like you. Uh, come back and join us anytime, and we'll talk about how great the pizza in New York is. And you abandon us for Georgia anyway. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you for all your work. Thank God you bless. so much. You too. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. We are SiriusXM Progress at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We're going to be joined in just a moment by Simon Moya-Smith and uh, Julie Franchella. Right now, let's get to the phones really quick. Anastasia is on the line, uh, line three. Welcome, Anastasia. You're on SiriusXM. Hey, um, nice to hear your voice. I've listened to you for years. It's my first time to call in. I just wanted to hear a couple of thoughts, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Thanks for calling. Um, first off, I love your re- reoccurring guest, Mrs. Hanson. Is it Brett Schneider? The God Corey Brett Schneider, yeah. Simon and Corey, uh, Simon yes. and Julie, I love them. I love that you're very informative. Um, oh, you're so kind. I only things. surround myself. I surround myself with people who are smarter and uh, more moral and funnier and more attractive than me, and it makes the show much better. That's what I try to do, too. So um, briefly, let me try to just, I I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. I've lived in California much longer. So I just wanted to correct the record about that dipshit Tommy Tuberville. He is from Arkansas. He is not from Alabama. He does not have a home in Alabama, um, right? No home in Alabama. Correct. Correct. I'm a big fan. Grew up in Birmingham. We voted for Biden and we voted for um, Doug Jones. God bless him. And I cannot believe the PE coach from... Who didn't even play in the SEC. He played in some random, he obviously wasn't good enough to play for Paul Bear Bryant. Anyway, that dipshit is from Arkansas. Please let he the is. record show. And, and not just that, but that, that your state would vote out a literal civil rights hero in replacing him with a dumb, racist, jock douchebag. It 
it breaks my heart. But again, from Birmingham, Jefferson County voted for Biden and for Doug Jones. So I can, Boom. I can there you go. That. Thank you. All right. The lady, the lady, I am a, I listen to your podcast when my dog's taking his daily constitution. I listen to you. So I don't know what your topics are tonight. However, okay. I'd like to address the woman from Brooklyn who was upset about the reporter who had meant, who asked if uh, Biden was looking at polls about yeah. the Israeli conflict. I, do, reporters are not remembering or even mentioning that. Remember that Israel had the largest protest going on because Bibi was trying to pretty much dismantle their justice system. Yeah. Do, yes. Do, and do people before, forget? How long many people before were October seventh. Long before. Yeah. No, but but back then yeah. it was only young people. It was young people and liberals picketing Bibi in the streets. Now it's every strata of Israeli society. I, I just wanted to remind people that he is not popular and he's only holding on to power and all of this crap going on. I am I am a pacifist. I'm I, I love all humans. I hope that something is figured out. But let's remember that Biden, yes, he's old, but he's 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 our candidate. I'm so tired. That's of right. This. Yes, we would love we would love Newsom, Big yeah. Judge, Gretchen. Look, Watson, show me someone better. Put someone better. Yeah, put somebody better up that that can get 270 electoral votes and get this kind of legislation passed with a divided Congress, and I'll be all for that man or woman. I don't care. I'm not loyal to Biden. Precisely, but the reality is Biden's on the ballot, so I wish people Correct. would just get over it. You know, exactly. And then thirdly, let's. let's and I just want to say one more thing about Biden's age, too. No matter who he's running against, if it's Trump or someone else, he's going to be running against 90 year old Hoover, Herbert Hoover economics. So ideologically, Biden's going to be the young guy in this race, no matter who he's up against. Go ahead. I'm sorry for cutting you off. No worries. Agreed. And let's not forget, he's got military. He's got all these advisors. He's got experience. Yeah. It's not like he's randomly walking around forgetting things. I mean, he's got people around him reminding him, hey, let's stay on track if that's the case, which I don't think yep. it is. But yep. I'm just I'm just tired of the ageism. I really am, because I think that he's me done too. solid for us. No, me too. Years. I'm sick of ageism. I want them off my lawn. Sick of them. Yeah. Okay. So shall we end with a with I think you'll like this. So when my mother and I moved over to Birmingham from Tokyo, I was five years old. It was 1979. My mom could not find a babysitter, didn't know a babysitter. So she took me to Bob Dylan was my very first concert. I remember you were talking about your son going to Paul yes. McCartney for the first. Well, I think it's pretty cool that Bob Bob Dylan was my first. So my, my brother, my brother made uh, Bob Dylan my nephew's first concert. Go ahead. Nice. So fast forward 40 years later, I'm living and working in Santa Barbara at the Santa Barbara Bowl. And I called my mom and I was like, oh, my God, Bob Dylan's coming. This is 2019. And she was like, oh, that's so great. Next morning, she calls me. She's like, can you get tickets? I've booked a flight over there. I was like, of course. I was like, I can't uh, believe she's 78 or something. And I was like, I can't nice. believe it. You did that. And she was like, she was like, well, I never thought that I'd see him again. And I might as well see him again with you. So isn't that. Oh, I love this story. I love it. Yeah. That's wonderful. I could go I on and you. on, but I know. Yes. 2019 was a good year for Bob, too. Everyone listening, just check out, go on YouTube and just listen to Bob's arrangement of Not Dark Yet that he did on the 2019 tour. It's completely, that's a song David Bowie covered, and Bob completely uh, reinvented it for that tour, and it's spooky and wonderful. I will, I will, and I'll tell you this. He's played a couple of times at the ball, but Santa Barbara, Not the Rose, and um, he was fantastic that concert. Yeah. Everybody. Oh, yeah said so so i think that he has you know up and down days like we always do um, i haven't seen I bob have a ba i haven't seen bob have a bad show since the early 90s but i'm, I'm with you i totally agree you got it's also bob you got to know what you're going in for if you expect him to sound just like the album and be a greatest hits jukebox you're going to be confused and disappointed but if you can get into the groove of the music 
he's astonishing. I mean, he's 83 and he's just astonishing, making incredible music, playing the grand piano, bashing it out, beautifully playing it. And his new band is just great. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Totally agree. And I'll tell you this uh, one last thing. My dad, he was a a U.S. Army medic during the Tet Offensive. And so Bob Dylan's lyric was such a, you know, he's a poet and that's what I love. And, you know, mostly I I love lyrics. And so, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to thank you for keeping us all sane and um, have a wonderful night. Anastasia, you had me at moving from Birmingham to Tokyo. You could have left it right there and been fascinating, but you were delightful. I appreciate your call. And before I get to our next guest, let me quote my favorite tweet of the week from uh, Alaric CDZ. He says, old white guy here. The Simon Makes White People Feel Bad segment is my favorite of the week. I hope your show doesn't get banned in Florida. Thanks for giving Julie and Simon a platform. And man... The fans that this segment have generated is so inspiring to me. Simon Moya-Smith's an Oglala Lakota and Chicano journalist. He's a contributing writer at NBC News and The Nation. He's the author of the forthcoming book, Your Spirit Animal is a Jackass, and he's an adjunct professor of indigenous studies at the University of Colorado, Denver. Simon, welcome back. It's great to have you. Yeah, I'd love to be here, man. Thank you. I'd love to have you be here. Julie Franchella is an activist, an artist, a writer, and a veteran mental health professional with over 28 years of experience working with complex trauma in the clinical field. She served as the executive director of a domestic violence center and spent 13 years as a clinical caseworker at a residential treatment center for indigenous youth and families. She's an enrolled member of the Ojibwe of Bashawana First Nation Reserve. She works with First Nations University of Canada and is a professor of Durham College, where she teaches about the profound impacts of colonization on First Nations people. Julie, it's great to have you back, too. Hello. Hi, thank you for having us, and happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month to you guys as well. Um, Before we go into anything, I guess I need to make a correction of something that I said, well-intentioned, but uh, naively, on the show two weeks ago, um, when Lily Gladstone got her Oscar nomination. And Simon, you brought this to my attention. A lot of folks said, hey, she's she's the first Native American uh, Oscar nominee. Turns out... Turns out we were deeply, deeply wrong and forgetting an amazing uh, Oscar nominee who just didn't speak English. Right. Right. And so that's a problem. And again, I I think it's more linguistically. So there's actually been a couple of indigenous people. But the difference, I think, is the United States sees the term Native American and then they see indigenous. And I don't think a lot of people know the difference. Here it is. There isn't any. Native American (laughs) and indigenous are the same. So it would be the equivalent of somebody from Canada and them saying, you know, uh, Native American or First Nations. Right. So it's Mm. weird how how the United States is divided linguistically by white people. So in the north, it's First Nations in in the United States, it's Native American. And then suddenly it just becomes Mexican. Right. As if there aren't indigenous people down in Mexico, you know, the the Raramuri, the Azteca, the Mayans, etc. So I think that I don't I don't want to immediately say that they were discounting other indigenous people. I just don't think they understand how to use the language appropriately or the nuances between them, if there are any. I think you're right. I think you're right. So we're talking about and Julie, I know, you know, this film, Alfonso Cuaron's Roma which uh, is one of the most beautiful movies of the last decade, got every Oscar nomination in the book. Alfonso Cuaron might be my favorite living director, not named Scorsese. And and it turns out, you know, y- Yalitza Aparicio, who played the maid in that beautiful black and white movie, got the supporting actress nomination um, a couple of years back, not Lily Gladstone. So it seems that we should be saying that Lily Gladstone is the first 
American Indian to get an Oscar nomination as an actor, not the first native. Yeah, I think that's I think that would be correct. You know, um, when people ask me where I'm from, I always say I'm from Turtle Island. And people say, well, where is that? And I'm like, well, you're standing on it. And Turtle <laughs> Island is, you know, where we are now, North America, Mexico, without all of the man-made borders that have been, you know, uh, placed there. So, yeah, I agree. I would agree with that. The first American Indian would be Lily. Well, thank you. I wanted to get that correction in because it's something that I said a lot joyfully because I love Lily Gladstone in that movie. But uh, I do want to be correct. And this this one, I think, really speaks to English language bias. It just never occurred to a lot of good natured gringos like me that uh, maybe Lily wasn't necessarily the first native. So thank you, Simon, for uh, for for correcting that, because it made me want to go watch Roma again. OK, um, yeah. I, I, I've been dying to talk with you guys about the border crisis, especially since we found out last week that notorious hater of indigenous people, Donald Trump, doesn't really think it's a crisis. He has instructed the Senate to back off from the reform bill they've been working on for a while, quite a draconian reform bill. And more or less, Mitt Romney said he he gave the orders to everyone in the Senate. Do not try to solve this crisis. He wants this crisis to try to get reelected and campaign on it. But to me, if he's got to wait 12 months to do anything, it, it can't possibly be a crisis. It's just <laughs> it's just more bigotry. You know, uh, as a Native American, I'm a Native American born in Canada, just so you know, that's that's what people would describe me as. Mm -hmm. And I've often wondered about the irony in the current debate about immigration and borders in the U.S. And if we rewind a few centuries, you know, our ancestors didn't have immigration officers or border walls, yet here we are in a nation that's deeply divided over who gets to call this land home. And we talk about illegal immigration, but who really gets to define the legality of movement on a land right. that was once freely roamed, you know, by um, our people. And so, uh, you know, I don't know if people realize that, you know, the border, the northern border and the southern border for many inhabitants here doesn't exist, legally doesn't exist. And that's something yeah. I think, um, if we talk about the Jay Treaty on the That's northern the, can border. Can you explain? Because a lot of folks don't know what the Jay Treaty is and don't. Re and by the way, a lot of a lot of guys who work in airports don't know what the Jay Treaty is either. Yeah, I've had that experience. Can you, right, can you explain so, it for our um, listeners? Absolutely. So the Jay Treaty is a treaty from 1794, and it was an agreement between the United States and Great Britain, which has profound implications for Native Americans. So the treaty, in essence, acknowledges that the U.S.-Canada border is virtually non-existent for Native Americans who were born in Canada. So basically, that means we have the legal right to live and work on either side of the border as if it doesn't exist. And that basically recognizes the historical ties and the inherent rights of Native people to our ancestral lands, irrespective of the borders that were later established by uh, colonial powers. And this is also happening, you know, uh, for the southern border as well. Um, there yeah. are, for centuries, Indigenous people have navigated these lands, understanding the importance of movement and the interconnectedness of communities. And so the GOP, you know, throwing around this, you know, border crisis, um, it's a term that's, it's, it's charged with fear, so much yes, fear. Yes, it is. And 
It's used as a political tool. And if we peel back the layers of this narrative, you know, isn't it interesting that those who are quickest to declare a border crisis are often the furthest removed from these border communities? Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly. if you're familiar. I mean, I'll let Simon kind of talk about the communities that are on the southern border right mm -hmm. now that, that this is impacting. Simon, I've been dying, dying to talk about this with you all week because there's nothing that makes me scratch my head more than these right-wing white people screaming about illegal invasions standing on stolen land to begin with. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. And this is very personal to me because, as as you know, I'm, I'm Chicano, which means I'm indigenous south yes. of this white man's border. And I'm Oglala Lakota, which means I'm indigenous the north of this white man's border. And so what we have to remember, though, is before white men came here, white men came here, we had trade routes, ancient trade routes that would go from down south, which is considered Mexico, even down as far as South America, up to as far as, as Alaska. So we've had these ancient trade routes that indigenous people have been utilizing for since time immemorial. And suddenly here come these white people. Right. And so let's take into consideration some of the indigenous people that are on the border where the border literally split their land in two. There's the, the Tohono O'odham people, and they have part of their ancestral land and, and essentially res on the north side, the American border. And then there's the, the Tohono O'odham Mexicans. They didn't have a choice in that. They just right. literally ran that border through their indigenous territory. Now, what I have an issue with, again, as a Chicano, and really quickly, for those of you who maybe grew up in Long Island, um, what a That's Chicano me. is... A Chicano is an indigenous person who rejects that co that colonial structure of uh, the conquistadors. We ad yes. ad acknowledge our Mayan, our Raramuri, our Azteca background, our indigenous background. So one thing that really bothers me is you hear things like this. You hear murderous, brutal, illegal immigrants are invading our country and they're making millions off of human trafficking. And you go, what the fuck? Do you think that these white people, I mean, they, they couldn't project harder from their repressed history. I mean, that's what they did. That's yeah. how these people exist on this land today. They, they they were grave robbers. They were human traffickers. They stole land. And then they use a language to demonize the brown people. Now, again, Julie can speak to this, but they're not freaking out about the Canadian border because there's a lot no. more light-skinned folks up that way. But when you go down to to the border in, in the Mexican-American border, that's brown folk. And so it becomes this one idea of there's one bad person. If they find, uh, like for example, in the news right now in New York City, they said there are illegal immigrants flipping off America. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, but one bad seed doesn't sum up the whole. Just because you know a one white person does something, you don't immediately go, look at all these fucking white people. We need to send them back to Europe. Yeah, it's so true. Right, but they do that with people who are brown, especially even indigenous people. So if something happens in, say, Rapid City, they're going to say, send that, that Lakota, send that, that engine back to the reservation. It's always send them back. That's, that's been their solution ever since they've been here, and they have the, have the audacity to call us wetbacks. They swim in the fucking out, ocean. I'll also point out undocumented immigrants commit crimes at a lower rate than national natural born Americans. Legal immigrants commit crimes at a lower rate than natural born Americans. It's all about racism. And I mean, you want the proof of it. I talk about this almost every night, Simon, which is that the Republican Party is going to run as their nominee for the third time 
a guy who in two different centuries hired undocumented workers to avoid paying American workers a living wage. They will never go after the employers. They will never go after the ones who erected the help wanted sign at our border because they know the dirty secret of the American economy that's been there since slavery. This economy's always been propped up by the exploitation of labor of marginalized people, generally black oh, yeah. and brown. And that's how you know it's all a scam. The Republican Party would never, ever yeah. lock up the employers. They need those undocumented workers because our economy would collapse and meat and produce would cost exponentially 10 times more. Absolutely. And yeah. really quickly, yeah. look up maquiladoras. I know Julie knows about these when we talk about murdered and missing indigenous women. Mm, maquiladoras yes. are right on the other side of the Mexican-American border. And that's where these big corporations like Walmart, etc., don't want to pay American taxes and they don't want to pay that certain wage. So they just cross the border. And then all of a sudden, all of these Mexican moms and sisters and grandmothers go missing. There's some you can look this up on The New York Times. Right? There are Mexican grandmothers who go out in shovels by the Mexican border on, on the Mexican side of the border looking for these women who are working for America. American companies who want to save a buck. That's it. That's well, it. May I just Julie? may I just add to to John what you were saying? Uh, you know, please. I mean, we're talking about people who are willing to nominate a man who has been accused of and now you know sexual assault, and they're talking about all these you know nasty immigrants coming in. You know, and Donald Trump himself, you know, has a. a has been you know charged with and convicted of not criminally but you know sexual assault against E. Jean yeah. Carroll. Yeah. And they're they're talking about all these, you know, monsters coming in and they're like, you're you're gonna you want to elect a monster. So true. I That's, don't get but it. Julie, but they're gonna go to their graves, Julie, saying Donald Trump was never convicted of rape. He's only a sexual abuser, you lying liberals. You know, and I think they should grow they that? should grow old <laughs> saying that while they're attacking Taylor Swift and hopefully Beyonce. Go ahead. And you know what I say to that? I say, you know what? If you have daughters, explain the difference to your daughters. Which one is acceptable to you? Yeah. yeah. Sexual assault or rape. Which one is going to be acceptable for your daughter to experience? And th exactly. that usually shuts them up. Anyway, well, you'd be surprised with my trolls. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, who knows more about dealing with the impacts of invasions than the indigenous people of the Americas? I mean, <laughs> literally. It's funny that they like, use that language. Right. They, they yeah. will say the invasion of Mexicans. So basically they're saying they're the, the Mexicans who are indigenous, by the way, are invading this territory, which they invaded. They don't use yeah. the language. The cognitive dissonance doesn't like the language that they use to demonize the indigenous people coming from the south into this ter territory, which they've done for thousands of years. But That's they it. refuse. They refuse to say that the settlers, the pilgrims invaded. Bullshit. Yeah, so yeah. true. They were those undocumented invaders. Um, let me go to the phones because you guys, it, like, it's so hard to get the topics because now we just have 20,000 calls of people who want to meet you, too. Mike in Ohio is on line six. Mike, thank you for your patience on hold. You're on Sirius XM with Julian Simon. Mike, are you there? Do we have Mike in Ohio? I hope it's the governor, DeWine. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Yeah, I, no. Hey. Actually, uh, I ver live very close to where he lives. But, oh, uh, lucky you. <laughs> Yeah. You live near Actually, hell. Oh, pardon? <laughs> no, we got to be nice to Mike DeWine. He was the one who tried to, uh, who, try, who vetoed the bill against trans kids, and he just got overridden by those sterling Christians in his state who want to beat up on marginalized people more. But go ahead, Mike. I digress. Yeah. Oh, well, I uh, uh, was 
tuned in to the uh, to your show last Friday uh, mm-hmm. this afternoon, and okay. uh, was surprised that uh, you read my tweet first thing. In the are uh, you the are you the guy who who are you the guy who I wrote did. that tweet about Simon and Julie? Yeah. <laughs> Simon Simon sent us your tweet last week. I love you. That was hilarious. Thank you. (laughs) Right on, man. I I sent that on to Stevie Van Zandt and he laughed. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Uh, I uh, just wanted to mention, well, I've got a question, but I have uh, indigenous uh, awareness every day because every morning uh, my dog and I go to a park not too far away Uh, to walk for about an hour that mm-hmm. uh, has a sign that says that it is the uh, birthplace of the uh, Shawnee chief Tecumseh. Mm-hmm. So I feel like every day I'm walking uh, perhaps where uh, a very important person had, had walked. It's lovely. But mm-hmm. also uh, wow. I have a big picture window in my living room and uh it looks out uh, across the street to a large Adena mound. Uh, they were the culture that was in this area from about 1200 BC to 1000 AD. Mm. Uh, so, so that's, I mean, makes makes it like a. I feel like I'm living in a special place, being able to see that. That's uh, nice. Like I said in my tweet, I'm an old guy. I have, you know. 10, 20 years maybe, uh, but looking ahead to uh, when I pass away, I, I want to be cremated, and I wanted to uh, pass pass it by Simon and Julie. Uh, would it be appropriate for me to have some of my ashes scattered on that mound that I see every day? What's your question? You know, yeah, I just want to say, Mike, you know, Native people have this connection to the land that we really, really talk about and recognize, but that our mother, the earth belongs to all of us. She's mother to all of us, regardless of, you know, you know, if you're, if your uh, culture is Native American or not. And so that's your, this is your land. Mother earth is yours as well. She's your mother too. So it would be, I think it would be a beautiful, you know, um, expression of that if that was what you wanted to do. So my, I don't know what Simon, but I say absolutely. And what a beautiful, beautiful thing to honor uh, the the earth and, and your mother, the, the earth and just yourself. I think that's wonderful. No, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, absolutely, man. Do it. And not just because you sent us a cool tweet, bro. Not just because of the tweet. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're good. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of... Yeah, I was. I, I kind of wanted to do it, but I was. I, I didn't really expect uh, that that answer. I. I haven't. Uh, I'm not sure that they know the purpose of the Adena mounds. Uh, I think at some point in the past they've done some excavation at this mound, and uh, to my knowledge, they didn't find any artifacts or bones or anything. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, just so you know, um, we don't have a word, and I think I mentioned this once before, maybe a couple months back, we don't have a word for goodbye for the Lakota people, right? That It's in our oh, language. Right. In our language, we would just say, Toksha Ake. That means I'll see you again because I'm either going to see you again in this life or I'll see you again in the next. Hmm. Okay. That's true for That's us great. as well. 
Love it. Well, I uh, like I said in the tweet, I really, really enjoy this segment, and uh, I really respect all three of you, you guys. Oh, so thank, thank you. I appreciate that, man. No need to respect uh, oh. me. I just have classy friends. That's all. But thank you. <laughs> thank um, you so much way, for the, listening. The, the Adena mounds were were ceremonial sites. They were burial structures. They mm-hmm. were. Uh, they think they may have been gathering places, and they were they were made using hundreds of thousands of baskets full of specially selected and graded earth. I mean, a lot of work went into altering the landscape to make these mysterious, beautiful growths in the ground. And uh, I, I mm-hmm. think it's really lovely that when you pass them, you think about the folks who came before us who created them. I love that story. That's Thank beautiful. You. Beautiful. Yeah. Look at that. Guys, I really want to talk to you about First Nations journalists being arrested it sort of seems like if you're covering a protest and you are native the fact that you are a journalist might afford you a little latitude to not be hassled by the cops however i know julie you have a friend who just got arrested while covering a story about a homeless native encampment we have to take a very quick break when we come back and we cover that story and take a couple other calls and um i want to talk about some of the shitty comments on social media and maybe uh and maybe play another game of uh, did you know so we'll be right back in just a moment this is progress Thank you for reminding me of this, Julie. I, I, I wrote to Julie the other day and said, I, I want to talk about N. Scott Mama Day, and then I almost didn't get to him. Thank you so much. But the first Native American author to win a Pulitzer Prize has left us just this week. And it's been sad, but lovely to read all the accolades. Yeah. You know, if you get a chance, uh, his Pulitzer Prize winning novel, one of my favorite, it's called Housemaid of Dawn. And it's the story of a young Native American man caught between the traditions of his people and the disorienting urban culture of the late 20th century. And I highly recommend it. Yeah. And I also want to remind everyone he was nominated for an Oscar for Roma. No, that's not that's not him. I'm so sorry. Uh. I got that. (laughs) Wait a minute. Let's play some Did You Know. Simon, you you teased this gruesome story last week that I find hard to swallow, but let's let's uh, let's follow up on it, please. Sure. Um, I'm sorry for the cliffhanger last time, but yeah, you guys can look this up. This is very true. Uh, For about 80 years at the Island School of Theology at the University of Denver, they had a book on Christian history bound in the filleted skin of an indigenous person. And they had it on display for 80 years until some students stepped up and said, "We, this is grotesque. We need to do something about this. Now, the university themselves didn't want to get rid of it. They wanted to keep it. And then, of course, eventually they were like, well, from pressure from the school and fearing bad media, they gave the skin, the, the part of the indigenous person back to the American or gave it to the American Indian movement in Colorado. Oh. They took it to Rosebud, who, again, David's from Rosebud. They took it to Rosebud mm-hmm. and gave it a proper indigenous burial. But the reason I bring this up also is because we talk about, as I mentioned earlier, Auschwitz prison camps. We hear the yes. stories about what the Nazis did to uh, the, the poor Jewish families and their skin making lamps. That happened here, too. So we have to remember that, unfortunately, we gave Hitler a blueprint to the point where he talks That's about it. the in like the prison camps of indigenous people and john toland the uh, the pulitzer prize winning biographer talks about it in his book i believe it's just called hitler so you can look mm-hmm. it up all of this is documented this is not conjecture and this is true this is a a, a a native who was killed by a quaker settler in western virginia not much of a quaker i'm guessing but then they 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 took this man's skin off of his body and bound a book on Christian history 
which is right. even more fucked up than I can possibly conceive of. And for 80 years, it wasn't in somebody's desk. It was publicly displayed in a university. Right. And they I mean, made the American Indian movement who received the, the flesh of the indigenous person sign kind of like, don't go to the media. You have to sign this paper tells us you won't go to the media. And so the American Indian movement said, fine, we won't. And it still got out there. But it's a dirty little secret that not a lot of people know about. And it is important to remember that the whole term redskin we've grown up hearing, it doesn't really refer to living people, does it? No, it means dead indigenous people that there were bounties $250 for a red skin scalp so they referred to yep so they referred to our body parts not just the scalps as redskins jesus i julie you got something funny to follow that up with (laughs) what's your Um, i I could go i could go funny i was gonna go something that would kind of you know match uh uh, simon's but uh, in canada in residential schools native children faced forced starvation as part of inhumane government sanctioned experiments on malnutrition so dr percy moore carried out these experiments during the 1940s and the 1950s and dr moore was the director of the nutrition division at the federal uh, Canadian federal government Department of Indian Affairs, and his research involved starving Native children, withholding <sighs> food from them, and also withholding any kind of treatment from them, uh, without the consent, obviously, of their parent or guardian. Essentially, using these children as subjects in studying the impact of starvation. These were government-sanctioned, by the way. Jesus. All right, we need to so, end on something I was light. Also- I have a light. Yeah, I was all set to, I was all ready to get angry about, you know, the names of the teams in the Super Bowl. Okay, Julie, really quick, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. Did you, uh, that during the Trail of Tears, Native American women ingeniously preserved their plant heritage by sowing dried seeds into the hems of their skirts and dresses, ensuring the survival of crucial crops for future generations. So that's why you get to enjoy things like squash and beans and corn. Amazing. Julie, what is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Julie Francella. And uh, you can also um, go to my website if you like, juliefrancella.com. Simon Moya Smith, how do we follow you and keep up with everything you're doing? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Simon Moya Smith or on Instagram at Simon Said Take a Pick. Can we guys discuss next week how deeply, deeply fucked up this whole Super Bowl team name business is? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. I look forward to it. Chris and Thea, thank you. Uh, What a great show we had tonight. We'll be back again for some more tomorrow. This is SiriusXM Progress. Peace. Peace.